five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My guest today from Birmingham, England, is Renal Registrar and Clinical Research Fellow, Dr. Javeria Faracha. Dr. Javeria is passionate about improving detection of CKD in primary care and management. Dr. Javeria joins me to share about her research and to explore the topic of CKD in primary care, what do I need to know? Hi, and welcome to Diary of the Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Dr. Javeria? Hi, thank you so much, Dee, for having me on the show. Really excited to be here and talk to you and all the listeners. I'm really excited to speak with you. Thank you for joining me again. Today, we're going to be talking about CKD in primary care. What do I need to know? Now, quite often we hear terms and primary care is definitely one of them that we hear all the time. But what does it actually mean? So my first question is, starting with the basics, what is primary care? So thank you, Dee. That's a really, really good question. I think we forget sometimes as doctors, we like to throw around all these specialist terms. And that's the first thing really for your patients is that if something doesn't really make sense to you, then please don't be ashamed of asking. I think that's our fault as doctors that we don't use the correct terminology for the correct group of people. So with primary care, what we're talking about really in England is care that you receive at your GP practice. So that may be that some you visiting your GP or seeing your GP, but also in today's day and age, actually, a lot of care is provided by specialist nurses, pharmacists and physicians associates. So I think if you do have a problem, then that's your first port of call. You go to your GP practice, you see someone there. And if they're worried and think you need a specialist opinion, they'll refer you to the hospital. So care you receive in the hospital is secondary care and care you receive in the community is primary care. Right. So it's like a first step in care, basically. Yeah. And I think what we don't realize sometimes is there's about three and a half million patients estimated to be living with CKD or chronic kidney disease in England and of them the vast majority actually are never seen by specialists in the hospital all their care is provided in the community by primary care <laughs> so that's why this area of work is so important we want to pick patients with kidney disease up early manage them well in primary care and hopefully that should mean that their disease never progresses or gets bad enough that they'll need to see a specialist in hospital I know that you're, as I've said in the introduction, that you're a clinical research fellow and you're looking at detection and management of kidney disease in primary care. So let's talk about your research. So what were the findings of your research? Yeah, so the project that I've been working on is focused on the black country, but actually similar themes have emerged across the country. So we know it's not just a black country specific problem. And really the key areas that we're focusing on is are people who are at risk of kidney disease being tested? And the answer is yes, partly 
patients, for example, who've got diabetes and high blood pressure, which are the leading causes of kidney failure in England, are having blood tests to look at something called EGFR, which is one way of screening for CKD. But they're not really having urine tests. And we'll talk a little bit more about it later, hopefully. But having a urine test to look for protein in the urine is the other really important way where we can pick patients with kidney disease up early. The second bit is actually looking at patients who had abnormal EGFRs or urine ACRs and whether they were identified as having kidney disease by their clinicians in primary care. And sadly, that seems to be a recurring theme as well nationally, that when you've had an abnormal test, it's not always picked up by clinicians and leading on from that, it's not always managed optimally according to the most recent guidance. So for TKD, we've got some guidance produced by an organisation called NICE in England, and it tells us what best practice is really for patients with TKD, what treatments they should have, what monitoring they should have. So in the Black country, when we try to look at how well that was being implemented, there was specific areas of weakness. So we may <laughs> touch on that a little bit more in the podcast. And I guess the third bit then is if you've got CKD in primary care, there will be some patients that do need to be referred to a specialist. So it's just making sure that there's good communication between primary care and secondary care, that those referrals are done in a timely manner rather than waiting till it's too late and the patient maybe has kidney disease that is already progressing rapidly to kidney failure. And again, when you're in hospital and you're discharged back to primary care, making sure that you're reviewed, that your medicines are all sorted out and that there's good communication between primary and secondary care, which a lot of patients have said they find incredibly frustrating. So it's kind of working on a whole package of kidney disease in primary care. But I guess what we really need to improve is testing of high-risk patient groups, coding or identification of kidney disease and people that have abnormal results, and then managing people with CKD better. So going back to your points about protein in the urine and urine ACR, I always like to explain, and for everyone listening, we have talked about understanding your renal blood test results in episodes 15 and 16 with Patsy Moye, and also in the diabetes and CKD episode, we've spoken about it again. But I think it's important to go over that to show the importance of it. So when we're talking about protein in the urine, protein in the urine shouldn't exist at all, should it? No, that's right. So with protein in the urine, as kidney doctors, for us, it's one of the earliest signs that a patient is developing a problem with their kidneys. So if, for example, your EGFR is normal and you've got protein in your kidney, that still needs to be investigated and looked at a little bit further. So it's interesting because especially for patients with diabetes, who are probably the biggest group of patients with CKD in primary care, that protein leak will start many, many years before the EGFR starts to fall. So if you're just relying on EGFR, then you're picking patients up a little bit too late. We want to be picking them up earlier as soon as they start to leak a little bit of protein in their urine. Just to explain the term EGFR, because again, we use these terms a lot, but maybe someone listening might not know what EGFR is or what it stands for. Could you explain that for me? Yeah, definitely. So I think, unfortunately, it's a complicated abbreviation as in if the full word is estimated glomerular filtration rate, which is a bit of a mouthful even for clinicians. So 
definitely as a patient, when someone says that, it's quite daunting and doesn't make much sense. But if you just stick to the abbreviation EGFR, it's the best way we have of measuring kidney function through a blood test. And it gives you a number. And I think for most of you, what you should try and do is remember that number. And I think Dee will reiterate how important that is. So a normal EGFR is above 90. But if you've got a reduced EGFR, especially for the kind of work that we're doing in primary care, the number or the threshold that we advise GPs to look at is patients whose EGFR is less than 60. And again, if you're a kidney patient and you have been for a while, you might know that EGFR can go up and down quite a bit depending on various factors, like what you've eaten the day before, how long the blood sample's been sat around before it was processed. If you've got like a bit of an infection, it might affect it temporarily, your EGFR. So if someone's EGFR drops below 60, the advice is to GPs that they should repeat it. And if it stays below 60 for a three-month period or a minimum of three-month period, then that's a diagnosis of CKD. We have got a complicated system to group patients with CKD into different categories. So CKD stage one is the mildest type of CKD and CKD stage five are patients with the most severe kidney disease. So the group who've got an EGFR less than 60 would come in the middle somewhere. So CKD stage three. For patients with CKD stage one and two, although their EGFR is above 60, which could be considered as a good EGFR, the reason they've got CKD might be because they've got protein in their urine, which we've mentioned is another important test. So I guess the EGFR is half the story. The, the amount of protein in the urine is the other half of the story. Or they might be known to have other problems with their kidneys, like they might have some genetic condition, which means they've got one kidney or polycystic kidneys. So even if the kidney functions above 60, their EGFR, they're still classified as having CKD. As you rightly said, I really feel so strongly that everybody should know their numbers specifically because quite often when I speak with people and I say do you know what your EGFR is or they've said they've had a blood test and they're like yeah they said it was fine well what does that mean I think it is so important to know your numbers you can only know exactly where you stand if you know the exact number and also to tag on to that to make sure that the ethnicity adjustment is not on the calculation as well. If you check out the episode with Dr. Kate Branham, where we speak about that, the ethnicity adjustment, but ultimately you need to know your number. The only way that you're going to know where you are, what the trend is, whether there's a, a reduction in your kidney function is to know the actual numbers. So please, everyone know your numbers. Definitely. I'd reiterate that. So I think that what Dee mentioned about the trend is the other part of the story. So I think it's, it's really stressful to have a diagnosis of CKD and it's a worry, obviously, to receive that information that your EGFR is low. And in most cases, the next step will be trying to figure out why that's happened. But then also when it comes to ongoing monitoring, what we're looking at as clinicians is what the trend is. So there is a few patients where we never really get to the bottom of what's caused their kidney problem. But if we look at their EGFR Me. over five, ten years, I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, but if we do look at the trend and it's stable and we look at things like the urine ACR and it, there's no protein in the urine, then that reassures us. So even in medicine, I think as doctors, we don't like to be in that situation or we don't like to admit it. There is instances where you don't know the cause of what's going on with a patient, but we look at that trend. So if obviously that EGFR is rapidly falling, 
we're worried regardless of whether we know or not we're going to be you know bending over backwards to try and get to the bottom of things but if it's stable I guess that's at least some comfort and reassuring I think the key thing in primary care is patients who've got a rapidly falling EGFR so that's a drop in their EGFR of more than 15 in a 12-month period they're people that should be automatically referred to a specialist so what if that doesn't happen what if you become aware that your EGFR is rapidly dropping and you're not referred what can you do about that yeah so I think sadly it's an unfortunate situation to be in and as a healthcare professional I would hope you'd never be in that situation but I think the reality of modern medicine and the way that primary care is in this country at the moment is there's so much stress and strain on individuals and often your clinician might be filing 100 to 120 blood results in one sitting so rarely things may get missed and I think if you as a patient are empowered even if it's not dropped by 15 mils but you feel it's dropping more than you're comfortable with for example if it had been stable for many years and all of a sudden dropped then don't be afraid to just pick up the phone and request an appointment with your GP or any healthcare practitioner at your GP practice to discuss it further. I think we're all human, errors can happen. So rather than getting angry or upset about it and not then doing anything, best thing is just to question it. Maybe that they've seen it, but they're reassured for some reason that you're not aware of and they can reassure you. I think the other thing to mention here is that the EGFR can fluctuate quite a bit. I think any kidney patient will have been through that experience where it goes up and down without rhyme or reason. So I think really, I would advise if it has suddenly dropped, then not to panic. First step is just to repeat it. And you may be surprised that it's gone back to normal. And we never really knew why it dropped. But if it's fallen and it's a sustained drop, then really it does need to be actioned and you need to be referred. And I think especially on the other end in secondary care, If a patient's worried, even if it's not ticking specific boxes, that's still a criteria to refer the patient to the specialist because we'd rather see people and reassure them if they haven't received sufficient reassurance in primary care than not see them at all. And I think we're trying to change the culture as well, where it's not just primary care at your GP practice and secondary care in the hospitals, but we're not talking to each other. We're trying to improve the ways in which we communicate with each other. So We've got new platforms where it's not an email, but it's like computer soft systems where you can send a quick request for advice and guidance about a patient and get a response back within days to weeks. So rather than having to wait for an outpatient appointment for maybe three to four months, often you can get a quick response and use that to reply to patients' anxieties or queries. So what were the other findings of your research? Yeah, so I think there's a few other things that are interesting to highlight. I think The bit about patients having abnormal results and perhaps a diagnosis of CKD being missed is an important one because if we look at the figures in the Black country and nationally, apparently there's estimated to be around 1 million patients living with kidney disease that don't know about it. And the number's quite alarming. So in the Black country, what we've asked the GP practices to do initially, just as a pilot, is to regularly run searches on their computer and anyone who's got two or more EGFRs less than 60 more than three months apart, or they've got high urine ACR results and they don't have a code on their records saying that they've been identified as having kidney disease, we're asking them to try and keep on top of that list and address the problem. I think part of that as well is not just putting a code on someone's record, but obviously if you picked up, they've got kidney disease and you need to invite them to a consultation that might be remote or it might be face-to-face, but you want to be told that you've got kidney disease. 
you want to have a conversation about why you might have developed kidney disease and what you can do to prevent it getting worse. And also have a conversation about what other treatments you need. So when someone's diagnosed as having kidney disease, there's a few specific interventions that we might be able to offer. So it all depends what the cause of your kidney disease is. So if it's a glomerular disease or glomerulonephritis, that might need to be referred to a specialist. It's probably beyond the capability or realms of primary care to manage it. But for most patients with diabetes or high blood pressure related CKD, the kind of things we're focusing on is good blood pressure control, a few simple diet and lifestyle modifications. And then there is some new or different tablets or specific medications that can also be offered. And it all depends on the urine ACR value. So the urine ACR value is important to pick people with kidney disease up early. Once you know someone has kidney disease, it needs to be regularly repeated, at least annually, if not twice a year, to inform us about what that risk is for the patient. So people with high urine ACRs are at higher risk of progressing to kidney failure and there's special treatments that can be offered to them. If you've got low urine ACR, that's reassuring. Your risk is much lower. So what is a high urine ACR? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So it is a little bit different for patients who have diabetes and those that don't have diabetes. A number above three is significant for patients with diabetes. And when the level is above three, we usually offer patients treatments with medications known as ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers. So that's relevant for patients with diabetes. For patients who don't have diabetes, there's a level above 22.5, at which we start to introduce specific treatments. So I think anything above three is technically abnormal. But I guess if you've got diabetes, if you've got a level above three, a new medication will be introduced. If you've not got diabetes, it's probably at 22.5 that we start to introduce tablets. The other thing with ACR is it can be notoriously (laughs) difficult to get an accurate result because you can imagine you're collecting a urine sample. It can get contaminated quite easily. Again, the guidance to GPs, a bit like with your EGFR, if it is abnormal for the first time, then the best thing to do is just to repeat it. And when you've got two abnormal results, then you can be confident that someone has a result above three or above 22.5, which are the important thresholds for medication introduction. So locally, what we've been looking at quite closely is whether there's some inequalities and variations between care and outcomes for patients from different ethnic groups and different socioeconomic backgrounds. That's still work in progress, but the reason we looked at it was a few years ago, there was a national report published suggesting that patients from Black and Asian minority ethnic groups, which make up about a quarter of the population of Black country, and lower socioeconomic groups, which again is quite a large proportion of patients in the Black country, both groups are more likely to go from early CKD to kidney failure. Now, I know Dee has a special podcast on patients from the black community and their risk of developing kidney disease and we do know that there may be some genetic factors but what we want to make sure isn't happening is variation in the care that we're delivering to these patients so if we can make sure that regardless of what your ethnic background is or what your socioeconomics group is you're receiving the same quality and standard of care at least we're making the first step towards tackling some of those health inequalities And I think the other thing is just small things, but if you're from a specific community, you may not speak English that well, or you might find it challenging to go through some of the literature that's currently available on CKD. 
It's trying to develop resources that will work for people from different backgrounds. So one good example that we have locally is that if you, for example, from an Asian background, you may not be able to read English well, an English video on CKD might not be that relevant for you. But what they found during the pandemic was that, especially when they're trying to talk about vaccines and improving rates of having the vaccine, a video in the patient's own language works much better than a leaflet because if they can't read English, they might not be able to read Punjabi or Arabic or whatever their local language is. So we've been working on a set of videos for patients on CKD. So when their GP or healthcare practitioner tells them they've got CKD, they've got a resource that they can go to to get some more information on what that means for them and how they can manage their kidney problems. So you mentioned that some ethnic minority groups and socioeconomic groups are more likely to progress to kidney failure but overall is there a way of measuring or calculating the likelihood of developing kidney disease? Yes that's an excellent question Dee. I'm not sure if any of your listeners will be familiar with the kidney failure risk equation but what we're trying to do is I think traditionally with patients who are looked after by their GP we had a magic number of 30 so anyone who's EGFR dropped below 30 we'd advise the GP to refer the patients to a specialist. But I think over the years, what we've realised is actually we're leaving it too late. If you wait till someone's EGFR has dropped to 30, then maybe the ship has sailed to prevent them from them going on to develop renal failure. We want to see patients a bit earlier. And this comes back again to that urine ACR, which I've been obsessed with (laughs) throughout this whole podcast. But if we have a patient in front of us, or the GP has a patient in front of them, What they're looking at really is obviously that trend in the EGFR. So if it's rapidly falling, that patient needs to be referred regardless of everything else. The second thing they're looking at is the urine ACR. And like I said, if it's a higher value, you're more likely to progress to kidney failure than if it's a lower value. In order to make it a little bit easier for GPs, though, and also to make it easier for you as patients to understand that, there's a really good equation that was developed. It was developed initially in America, but it's been adjusted. So it's relevant for patients in the UK as well. And that's the kidney failure risk equation, which we often abbreviate because as doctors, we love abbreviations to the KFRE score. So your GP can put in your most recent EGFR result, your most recent urine ACR result, your age and your sex onto an online calculator. So that's kidneyfailurerisk.co.uk. And what you get as a result is your risk of developing kidney failure that needs either a kidney transplant or dialysis in the next five years. It'll also give you a score for two years, but we asked the GPs to focus on the score in the next five years. So I think that's a really good thing for patients to explore. And not everybody likes numbers, so that's what Dee will tell you. Not everyone wants to be presented data in that way, but some people like to be given their risk. So for example, If you're very elderly, we know that CKD can often be a condition that just develops in old age. So if you put in a 90-year-old male with no protein in the urine, so a urine ACR of zero, it will reassure you that maybe the risk of developing kidney failure in five years is 0.01% or something near that. Whereas if you're a younger patient and you've got a lot of protein in your urine, it will tell you what your risk is. And if What we've recommended to GPs or primary care is if you've got a risk of more than 5%, so 5 in 100 or 1 in 20 of developing kidney failure in the next five years, you should be referred to your specialist. So I think that's kind of the magic number. And that's been based on some research that 
some colleagues in England have done. There's some more research that's ongoing because obviously even within England, we've got quite an ethnically diverse population. So it may be that that number needs to be a little bit different for patients from the Black community or from Asian communities. So the work is ongoing at the moment to try and validate the equation for those different groups. But I think if you're interested in it, then definitely look at the website, kidneyfailurerisk.co.uk. And what's also interesting in there is there's a little graph and it says, if I try and improve my blood pressure control, you can click the button. It shows you how much you can reduce your risk by. And again, if you've got a urine ACR above three and you've got diabetes or above 22.5 and you've not got diabetes and CKD, there's a group of drugs you can have. If you click on that, it tells you what having that medication might reduce your risk by. So it'll give you some questions possibly you can take back to your healthcare practitioner and say, I've played around with a calculator. Do you think I might benefit from X, Y, Z treatments? So while we're on the topic of treatments, when somebody has been highlighted as being in the early stages of CKD or mid stages of CKD, what treatments are available to help either reverse or prevent or slow down the progression of the disease? I think I've been itching to talk to you about these treatments all throughout the podcast. So I think there's some simple treatments. So for all of the treatments, we're looking at two specific things. So obviously the most important thing is for that group of patients that are quite high risk with high urine ACRs, we're trying to reduce the risk of them going on to have kidney failure in the future, needing dialysis or a transplant. The other thing that we're trying to emphasize though is that even for patients possibly that have slightly milder CKD that's not rapidly progressing, there's still a really high risk of developing serious heart diseases, much more than the general population. So things like heart attacks and strokes are much more common for patients with CKD. So for all of our patients, I think they're the two areas of focus. When it comes to reducing a risk of heart disease, a lot of it's just lifestyle advice. So making sure that you, know, you have a low fat diet, that you're doing regular exercise, and we also suggest that everyone with CKD has a statin or something equivalent to a statin. So a medicine that can lower your cholesterol levels and reduce the risk of you having heart disease or stroke. So I think you'd ex- I'd expect that your GP or your healthcare practitioner in primary care would discuss those things with you and with all patients. I think specifically for CKD, our number one thing that we're obsessed with as kidney doctors, and anyone that's met a kidney doctor will probably agree, is blood pressure. So really good blood pressure control. So 140 over 90 is the kind of magic number for most patients. But if you have diabetes or if you have a urine ACR value that's above 70, we lower that to 130 over 80. So we're really, really strict about blood pressure control and it can make a huge difference to your risk of heart disease and progressing to kidney failure. And then the other two treatments that we're making sure all illegitimate patients are receiving One is a group of drugs, which a lot of you might be familiar with, are the ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers. So there might be drugs like Ramipril or Inalapril or Losartan. That's another common one used in that group. And they're drugs that reduce the amount of protein in your urine. And over time, it can reduce the risk of you progressing with your kidney disease. So if you have a urine ACR value over three and you've got diabetes, or if it's over 17, you've not got diabetes, then there should be drugs that you're on. It doesn't suit everyone. So I think your GP might try it and it may not suit you, but it's definitely worth a try if you haven't had it before. And then the other group of drugs, which we're really excited about, 
are a group of drugs which are called the SGLT2 inhibitors. So an example is something called dapagliflozin. And they were drugs that were initially designed just for diabetes. But actually they found that maybe they're not the best drugs to keep your blood sugar down if you've got diabetes. But all the extra added benefits of the drugs were absolutely amazing. So if you've got kidney disease, it can reduce your risk of your kidneys progressing to kidney failure, even if you don't have diabetes. But also it reduced the risk of you developing serious heart disease. It can reduce the risk of you being hospitalized with heart problems and also reduces your mortality from any cause. So they're like a wonder drug for CKD patients. And we're quite keen. It's a new treatment. It's just recently been licensed for use. But we're keen to try and get as many patients onto it as soon as possible. So it's a really, really exciting development for patients with kidney disease. And I think as healthcare practitioners, their anxiety is that we don't delay the time lag between it being approved and patients receiving it. So I think you have got CKD, you're not on the drug, then probably worth discussing with your healthcare practitioner. Maybe there's a good reason why you're not on it, or it may be something that they're able to support you with. So lots of options there to help with the treatment of CKD. and. Very exciting to hear that there's been innovation and progress in the area and hopefully that will help millions of people. Definitely. There's some new drugs that are in the pipeline as well. So I think this is not the end of this story. And I think historically, especially in primary care, a lot of patients with CKD were just very elderly and the feeling was that it's just an age-related condition. It's a normal part of aging. And I think we're trying to shift the mentality to the fact that actually there is treatments available for CKD now. And it isn't just a condition which is associated with age. There's real risks and poor outcomes for patients that are not given the optimum treatment. So, yeah, it's a really exciting space. But we need to just make sure that, like I said at the beginning, that people at risk of kidney disease are tested, they're picked up early, they're managed well, and that the high-risk patients then are picked out and put onto the correct treatments and referred to the specialist as early as possible. I think at the same time, hopefully... If you've not got a very high urine ACR, you've got no protein in your urine, if your EGFR has been stable over a long period of time, if your kidney failure risk equation score is very low, we can reassure you that actually you don't need to be over-investigated or overly anxious, that you're actually in a good place with your CKD, it's stable. You mentioned earlier that diabetes and hypertension are the number one and two causes of chronic kidney disease. But I think it's also important to dispel the myth that kidney disease is just something that affects old people or just something that you've done to yourself kind of thing. I think there's a real misconception about kidney disease as a whole. So I just wanted to talk briefly about what are the other causes of kidney disease that people need to look out for? So that's a really good question, Dee. I think a lot of what I've talked about already is focusing on patients who we're quite confident that their kidney disease has been caused by diabetes and high blood pressure. So they're usually people obviously that have had those conditions for a long time and maybe the control hasn't been as optimum as it should be. So if you're someone with very well-controlled diabetes and you only had it for 12 months, then it's not always going to be that that's the cause of your kidney disease. There might be something else going on. So for clinicians in primary care, if you have been suddenly picked up as having a kidney problem, The first question should be, why is that the case? And there is some red flags that might point them in the direction of some of the more rare conditions like glomerular diseases. So if you've got a combination of blood and protein in your urine, 
or if you've got involvement of other organs, so you've got a rash on your skin, red eye, breathing difficulties, joint pain and swelling, that again might point them to some kind of an autoimmune condition or a multi-system condition that's also affecting your kidneys. And that group of conditions are called glomerular diseases. And if there's any suspicion that patient has those conditions, they should be urgently referred to a specialist not managed in primary care. The other group of patients is people that perhaps have inherited kidney diseases. So one of the common ones that some of your listeners may have heard of is polycystic kidney disease. But there is other more rare forms as well. So quite often you'll be asked if you've got a family history of kidney disease and your GP might ask you more details about your family members that had kidney problems. And again, they're patients that need to be referred to a specialist for diagnosis. It's probably beyond the realms of primary care to be managing them. So in summary, we have covered about your research in the black country. We've talked about protein in the urine, urine ACR, EGFR. We've talked about a good number of stuff. I'm, I'm really <laughs> like excited about this interview because I think it is so important what you've shared about today, Dr. Javeria, because as everyone knows, I'm passionate about self-management and people being empowered with as much knowledge as possible so that they can have the best outcome of their care and their kidney health. So in summary, and I will leave this final word with you. When we're looking at our kidney health as kidney patients in primary care, in summary, what do we need to know? Yes, I just want to start by reassuring patients that I have mentioned that obviously we're not doing the best job at the moment in that area, but there's a lot of momentum across the country to try and improve care for patients in this area. So it may not be overnight, but we're all working on it in our own regions on trying to make sure that anyone who is at risk of CKD is tested appropriately, that urine ACR testing rates are improved. If you're on the CKD register, I think the important thing is making sure that have you had a urine ACR check? Are you on all the treatments that you're eligible for? Are you being monitored regularly? What's that trend in your EGFR? What's your kidney failure risk equation score? And if you're worried and you think you need to be referred to a specialist, then please just have a chat with your GP or healthcare practitioner. There's loads of really, really good resources on the Kidney Care UK website. So if you want more information, then definitely please check them out as well. And yeah, the future is exciting in this space. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing this information. As I've said many, many times before, self-management, empowering people with the knowledge to take care of themselves and have the best treatment is so important to me. And thank you so much for sharing this because this will make such a difference for so many people. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dee. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love.